Welcome to The Plants We Eat, where we talk about the surprising history, biology, and culture behind the plants that we use for food. My name is Jeff Gilman. I'm the director of the UNC Charlotte Botanical Gardens and a plant history enthusiast. And I'm Cindy Proctor, part-time instructor from Central Piedmont in Charlotte, North Carolina, and a garden coach, landscape enthusiast. We're talking about uh, one of my absolute favorite foods today. I know. Who? I mean, really. You know, it's this just morning, eat my way out of a bin of coffee. This morning, I had uh, chocolate-covered coffee beans. Don't you love those? Yes. I could eat those day and night. I just I do love sometimes. coffee. Coffee just makes me so happy. I mean, it did, like it's I, a mood enhancer. It is. It is, and I and it just. I was glad to talk about it. Well, we've got all kinds of fun things to talk about coffee. Let's start off by saying that coffee is, uh, you probably think that coffee is this one certain type of coffee bean. Well, let me tell you something. Coffee is somewhere around 100 different species. Now, there's only a few different species of coffee that we actually drink, and we'll talk about those. But you've actually got around 100 species, somewhere around 100 species of coffee, many of which can be used for the drink. So is it French vanilla one of the species? Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know a French vanilla species, but I will get to a very interesting one, I promise. So let's start off by saying that they call them coffee beans. They're not beans. Beans is a legume. That implies that it's a legume. Coffee seeds. This is actually a fruit. So we actually have a coffee plant in uh, in the greenhouses at the UNC Charlotte greenhouses. And uh, it's a red bean. It's a fleshy fruit. The fleshy fruit is completely edible. It tastes sweet, kind of bitter. No, you know something? It's, it's a very plain fruit. It's not bad enough that I'd ever say it tasted bad, nor good enough that I'd ever say it tasted good. It's not worth the trouble. It's not worth the trouble. Okay. That you, you hit the nail on the head. It's simply not worth the trouble. I mean, there are actually a lot of fruits out there like that that you never hear about just because they don't have enough flavor one way or the other. Nothing wrong with it. I just wouldn't recommend it. It's laborious to pick. It is. Off of the thing in the greenhouse, it's not No, bad, but, but I mean, if you yeah. wanted a snack. Yeah. To get a decent snack, it would take a tremendous amount of right. effort. <laughs> now, the seeds, and we'll call them beans just for convenience, I should say, but they're, again, they're not beans. This isn't a legume. You want, it, you want a plant that's closely related to the coffee? Gardenia. Yes. Gardenia and pentas. If you know, you know pentas, isn't that crazy? It is crazy. You look at the flower, I can see the gardenia, but not a penta. Have you ever eaten a fresh coffee bean straight off the tree? No, I haven't. Okay. I think I think I gave you, I might have given you the fruit once. You did. Yeah. I but, thought it was a little sweet with some bitter to it, but that, that might be a ripe you, thing. So I'll give you sweet with a little bit of bitter, but okay. not enough to say it's a sweet fruit. I mean, compared to like even an apple. Okay. Anyway, um, the uh, bean itself right off the tree when it's, it's called green, when it's fresh, it, it really doesn't have much of anything either. It's a chewy seed, not much of anything. So what happens to the coffee to make it? coffee. Well, it has to be roasted. It absolutely has to be roasted. And I want to talk about the roasting briefly because this is very, very important to coffee. And again, without roasting them, you get nothing. It it tastes like nothing. It's another plant. It's another plant, right. It's an edible plant. It does have caffeine in it. It will get you going, but it's it's, it's just not. Is that why you're in the greenhouse all the time? (laughs) That's right. I'm just constantly picking those berries (laughs) off. And by the way, they are are generally called uh, berries when people go in and pick them. So what happens with the roasting is you take, you first of all, you take off the fruit. Generally, you throw it away or other things can be done with it. And then uh, you take these beans and you roast them. And the roasting can be done in a variety of ways. And you can go onto Google and see all the ways that have been used for roasting over the years. I've even seen things like do it yourself at home. If you have one of those ho- old hot air poppers, you can actually use one of those old hot air poppers to roast. For the, popcorn? 
Yeah, that's right. That's okay. exactly right. So I just dated myself. All didn't kinds I? of I know. Well, hot air poppers <laughs> were only popular, but we've both dated ourselves. <laughs> so you can roast the beans in a variety of ways. And there's two occurrences that, that happen to the beans as they're roasting. The first is called the first crack. The first crack happens, it's actually an audible crack, and it happens when the beans reach about 400 degrees. When they reach about 400 degrees, uh, enough water has been forced out of them that the drying causes a crack. Once they've cracked for the first time, they can now be used for coffee. Now, if you just take them out right away or close to right away, it's a lighter roast. If you leave them in there for a while, it's a medium roast. Then occurs the second crack. That's right. That's right. The second crack is when the structure of the bean actually starts to break down. And after that, you get your darker roasts. The jet fuel. The jet fuel. I, and that's I how I like mine. I, that's how I like mine, too. Now, of course, the interesting thing is that contrary to popular belief, the darker the coffee, the less caffeine you're dealing with. Is that why I drink so much that's, of it? That's why you drink so much, because you like the dark stuff. You see, what happens is that caffeine is actually broken down by temperature. So as we get higher and higher in temperature, we break the caffeine down. One thing that I really didn't note, which I should have noted earlier on, what happens is that in terms of the flavor, which we all love, the flavor really appears with these fruit because you're forcing oils out of the, the very structure of the coffee bean. So that's why you really don't get any flavor until you hit 400 degrees. Now, I've actually taken those coffee beans, and I've actually roasted them at lower temperatures for long periods of time. And when I read this, I didn't believe it. But after I did it a few times, it became pretty darn obvious that if you want to express flavor in the coffee beans, it's not, not actually 400. I think it's like 390 or somewhere around there. But you have to hit this temperature. And if you don't hit this temperature, the oils from the bean aren't going to be expressed and you're not going to have coffee flavor. Although you still will have caffeine if that's all that you're after. I found that very interesting. Another interesting thing I found is that although these oils start to be expressed, you don't really see the oil expression until after that second crack. So in the light and medium rows, you'll hardly see, unless you're you know, looking with a magnifying lens, you're not going to see any of this oil expressed. But after that dark roast, you ever noticed, have you ever actually looked at the dark roast beans and see how they have the sheen to yeah, them? Yeah, I was going to say glossy. That glossiness is the flavorful oils being forced out of the bean. So really, really interesting that these things... So I'm still hung up. Go ahead. I can't get past that the stronger the coffee the less caffeine it has Well, no, in it. no let's, let's back up just, okay. a, just a minute because that can take a little bit of explaining. You're, you're going to say, well, what about espresso? Well, with espresso, if you take, it's usually a dark roast, although espresso doesn't have to be because what's important about espresso is that you're using less water, whereas with a filter coffee, and that includes your Keurigs or whatever, yes. you're using more. So espresso <laughs> has a relatively small amount of water going uh -huh. through it, whereas your filtered coffee has a much larger quantity of water going through it. Right. But okay. if, you take, if you take the dry coffee, ounce per ounce, the lighter coffee has more caffeine than the darker coffee. Okay, you're going to make me rethink my purchases here. There you go. So espresso, the thing of espresso. But what about the flavor that you said was expressed in the oils and the darker coffee? So that's going to have a richer flavor. Exactly. Like you have the dark, oils. equated with the dark roast name. Right. But one thing that you also find as you roast is that up to that second crack, you get more flavor. And then there's a period of time after that where you will get more flavor. And then all of a sudden you have this drop off where you suddenly go to charcoal. So you have to figure out where in that dark roast cycle you like. And the dark roast includes, you know, French roast, you know, Italian roast. French vanilla roast. <laughs> I'm just I teasing you. Anyway. I'm teasing you. Um, but yeah, French, Italian, there are a couple of others. And that's, 
that's where these different levels come from. You know, reading about it, I always thought that I really liked The Darkest, but after I read about it and learned a little bit more, what I learned was that I actually like a coffee that comes out almost right after that second crack. Another interesting thing, and this is from Coffee Aficionados. This isn't really from, from me. I, I love my coffee, but I'm not going to go to call myself an aficionado. But what they say is that with a light and medium roast, the area where it's produced and the exact type and variety of coffee is very important. And then as you get into the darker coffees, the roasting becomes more important and exactly how long you, you take okay. it. So both are important in all cases, but they differ. I'm excited all that I've learned today about coffee. Isn't that it? Well, it, hey, we are just beginning. So originally coffee's from Ethiopia. There are all kinds of legends about how coffee began. You know, there's everything from one guy saw how birds were energized by eating coffee beans. And so he ate some coffee beans and hey, this was great. There's another story about this one person tossing coffee beans into a fire to get rid of them and smelling how wonderful it smelled and then pulling them out and eating them. The truth is we don't really know much about when coffee was discovered. Was first discovered. Or... Yeah, e exactly. So the first really solid evidence of coffee is uh, actually in the 15th century in Yemen. So that's where we first have the real evidence of people drinking coffee. Makes sense. Yeah, it, it does. I mean, that's the area roughly where it, where it came from. So from this area, there are actually two species of common that are used most commonly. They're uh, Robusta coffee and Arabica coffee. These are two different species, okay? These aren't two different varieties. These are actual different species of plants. Arabica is roughly three-quarters of world production, while Robusta is about 20%. Um, Robusta has more caffeine than Arabica, about 2.7% as compared to 1.5%, and has fewer pest problems on the plant itself, which is actually kind of important. But it is less acidic and more bitter. So Arabica is usually considered the superior coffee, generally speaking. Um, there actually are Arabica and Robusta coffees, crosses, that are currently being tested, so they'll cross the two species. But none of them is, is popular right now. Again, Arabica is considered to have a smoother flavor, generally considered a higher-end coffee. Because of global warming and other issues, though, Robusta is getting a lot more attention now. And again, that's because of crosses that can be made. But the thing to me that was really fascinating is that, again, there are many different species of coffees. And some of them seems to me have some serious potential for commercializations. For example, Liberian coffee. Liberian coffee is uh, it was discovered in Liberia in 1843. And I want to read this description of the flavor that you get from Liberian coffee. This is from um, Cafeso, the Espresso Quest. So I want to cite my source. But I thought this was such a great description, which covers like five lines that I had okay. to describe it. So this is Liberian coffee. This is a separate species, which probably no one listening to this podcast has ever tried. Chocolatey and ripe berry-toned sweetness with a hint of floral and spice. The first flavor to emerge is bitter walnut followed by dark chocolate with a very light smoky acridity. A berry-like acidity appears and adapts with the chocolate to create a flavor similar to Madagascar chocolate. Moreover, the aftertaste of Liberica is indeed exceptional. It is long-lasting and retains the smooth, dark chocolatey taste with sweet hints. Don't you want to taste that? Yeah, I, it sounded like tea and ice cream and everything in between. <laughs> and then here's another one. Then there's the Highland coffee of Sierra Leone, which ripens purple instead of red, and which uh, one researcher described as equal to the best Arabica coffees. And then there's, here's another one. 
There's terrier coffee. It's the only naturally caffeine-free coffee species, and it's from Cameroon. All these different species that are out there, and again, this isn't like delicious apple and Macintosh apple. <laughs> these are actual different species of plants with these different flavors, and we haven't tried all of them. I, I think I, I know what I'm going to do this I, year, I, right? I have actually started a search for all these different coffees. Okay, count me in. You're, okay, we're going to try and find them. We're, we're going to try and get K-Cups, but if we can't, we'll just, you know. That's right. Go, go That's right. To, That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll I, grind. I'll grind coffee, which I have. Have you done? I've done. I've done that before too. I'm again. I don't want to call myself any kind of a connoisseur, but I do love my coffee. Yes, I do love mine too. <laughs> I am amazed that it's different species producing a cup of coffee because that's that's nothing like we've ever talked about, is it? No, it 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 really isn't. I mean, well, closest thing, and we didn't talk about this much, would be with apples. You have your crab apples, right? And you have your yeah, um, but they're not considered this. I mean, no, they're no. they're not. They're not treated the same. No, like so, like this topic is okay. So the, to me, this was absolutely fascinating that we're dealing with different species, not different varieties. Of course, the most expensive coffee in the world isn't really a different species. It's a Kopi Luwak or civet coffee, which is actually did you say civic? A uh, civet, C I V E T, civet okay, coffee. Civet, okay. Which comes from the partially digested coffee beans that have been eaten by the uh, omnivorous civet, which is a sort of cat-like mammal. The partial digestion leads to a fermentation in the gut, and uh, different flavors are expressed, and it, it apparently has a very different flavor. Have you have you heard of this before? I have. I didn't right away, but when you said it was fermented in an animal's in an gut, animal's gut. The civet, was, yeah. yeah. The civet, by the way, if you look at it, it's kind of a weird cross between a raccoon and a cat. Um, again, it's omnivorous. How do we gather these? Uh, well, fermented. So, so I'll tell you beans. I'll tell you two stories. Seeds. I'll tell you two stories. There are there are wild gathered. But that's very rare. Um, even the ones that say they're wild gathered aren't usually wild gathered. What usually happens is sad, and it's the reason that I won't try it. They have civets living in cages, oh, and yeah. they force feed them the coffee. Yeah. And of course, they get sick after a certain amount of coffee. And you know, it's look, it's caffeine. Normally, this would be a very small part of their diet, but it's forced to be a large part of their diet, and it. Anyway, it, it, it's very. It's interesting, uh, but I won't. Right, exactly. Yeah. If I knew that it was wild gathered, I would. But I'm not going to help to support this. I will tell you how this started, though. It's, it's very interesting how this whole civet coffee thing started. And it, what happened is that in the 18th century, the Dutch actually established plantations across East Indies islands, including Java and Sumatra. And uh, that included, of course, Arabica coffee. And what happened is that the um, people native to that island, they wanted to try this coffee and they weren't allowed to touch those beans because those beans were for sale. Well, they found a way around it by collecting the beans from the waste of the, of the civet. I see. Which um, the waste of the civet is not, you know how an owl pellet isn't nearly as disgusting as dog poop? Yes. So it's... It's it, like that. It's, it's, it's like that. I'm not going to call it undisgusting, but it's not... You know, apple pellets to me, as a biologist, hey, I think they're, I actually think they're, they're kind of cool. <laughs> so fun coffee, just a fascinating, wonderful plant. So I know <laughs> you always enjoyed having your coffee plant in your greenhouse, but yes. did you ever grow one before you never. came here? No, never. You never. really? Really? No, I've seen them growing. So I, I spent a little bit of time in Colombia. Okay. And I had seen them growing in Colombia and they seemed like a relatively easy crop to they grow. Are, well, they're a tropical plant, but if you're here in the States and not in zone seven mm -hmm. or 10, I mean, right. Um, you, you need to treat it as a house plant. Which makes sense. Of course. 
it's an attractive house plant. You know, now you can get a small one and, and if you have a sunny window, you can grow it. It might take two to six years to bury. Yeah. Okay. And it has beautiful flowers, white flowers. I know you've seen them in the greenhouse, haven't I have. you? I have. Now I've, I've heard them referred to as quite fragrant and I've got to say like that. Like the garden, they're from the garden. Yeah, the they're, they're fragrant, but they, they're, to me, they're not a knockout. They're not a knockout. I mean, you know, you and I joke yeah, about fragrance. Us. You know, we, yeah. I think fragrance is gardenia, <laughs> you know, and you think anything has fragrance. Anyway. Well, I stick my nose in a lot of flowers. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So um, it's not quite as fragrant as uh, gardenia, it's but pleasant. it's pleasant. It's pleasant because we don't get many houseplants that flower anyway. So if you have those conditions, you can take it outside in the summertime and bring it back in. You probably won't get enough beans slash seeds mm -hmm. to make a cup of coffee, but for fun anyway. But yes, in the tropics, it can be easily grown. It's an understory tree in the tropics. Mm -hmm. So it can tolerate, you know, the conditions in a house if you have a, a sunny window. I'd say having been around these plants a reasonable amount, I'd say that if you can grow one one shrub, but you'll have enough for a cup of coffee. That's what you just have. have to roast it, right? Yeah. You can eat them. It's just, it's just eat them. Yeah, just for the caffeine. Skip That's the right. Just eat them. But um, it, they take a long time to germinate. If you ever wanted to do it by seed, have you heard that before? I have heard that. Okay, so but you know, you know that you were described the fruit. Yeah. And you took the seed out. Mm -hmm. You have to acquire the seed before it turns too ripe, so the fruit's too dry. Oh, I see. The seed has to be moist and the soil has to be really warm. And even that, it still takes a couple months to germinate. Okay. So, sorry, what you were going to say? I was just going to say, I, I, my thinking, uh, the way I saw it done in Colombia, was it was generally done by cuttings. Well, sure. I mean, that's, a, that's a better way. Yeah, if absolutely. You can, if you can find a cutting. Yes. So I did read, do you know how many cups of coffee the world drinks a day? Just take a oh, guess. I, um, eight, no, five billion. 2.25 billion a I, day. I, I wow. A day. Wow. I drink one of those. I, I probably drink half of that at night. <laughs> oh, yeah, you do. <laughs> I would drink coffee at night. So the decaf coffee mm -hmm. has, has, has just enough caffeine, though, to keep you awake at night. See, I don't have that problem. I'm one of those lucky people. I actually oh. sleep better when I have a little bit of caffeine at night. Now, I can go overboard without a doubt. But, sure. but a half a cup of coffee uh, helps me sleep, as long as it's not right before. Sure. Or not right before, right before. <laughs> okay. You know what I'm saying. Well, from one coffee lover to another, <laughs> this has been fun. It has been. Yes. This has been The Plants We Eat. Thank you so much for listening. This has been a production of the University of North Carolina at Charlotte Botanical Gardens and the Isle Group, as well as the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences. We'll talk to you next time.